Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. You know, longtime Christians sometimes speak a language that is strange and unfamiliar to people who have no church background or no Bible background. Uh, let me give you some examples. We sometimes talk about having fellowship, don't we? And for us, that means we stand around and visit and uh, drink coffee or sit down to a meal. You know, normal people do that too. But for us, we call it having fellowship. It's our language. And sometimes it's a theological term. Uh, sometimes we talk about the rapture. And people who have no Bible background wonder, what is the rapture? And then they hear that we're talking about a future time when all the Christians are going to disappear, and those who are not believers are going to be standing around looking at each other going, what just happened? The rapture. It seems strange to them. But, but probably the most bizarre of all to unchurched ears would be when we talk about the blood, the blood. And they even hear us sing hymns like, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? We sang that a little while ago. But think about it. To somebody who has no church background, no Bible understanding, when they hear, Are You Washed in the Blood? They think that sounds like something between zombieism and vampires. They don't know. What what do you mean, are you washed in the blood? So I thought on this Sunday before Easter, it would be a good time for us to talk about the cross and the blood of Jesus. And to even those who, who really... ...about the blood of Jesus that the Bible makes so important. Uh, we have been in a series called Mission Redemption. And for the last 10 weeks, we've been uh, following through a section of the Gospel of John and intertwining the other Gospel accounts and other passages of Scripture as we've been looking at the mission that the Heavenly Father sent Jesus to earth to fulfill, to purchase the redemption from sin for sinners like you and like me. That one that the angel said to Mary so long ago when he was a, a divine conception within her womb, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The one who would be born of the virgin would be the Son of God who came to earth to purchase redemption from sin for those who would trust in him. And in that mission, the blood was so important because nothing but the blood of Jesus could purchase our redemption. And so to understand this, we've got to go back to the original problem of every human being, something the Bible calls sin. And the Bible teaches us that ever since Adam and Eve, and whether people understand that to be literal to human beings or, or some sort of allegorical lesson, you know, it really doesn't matter. What we know to be true is that 
from Adam and Eve on, when they rebelled against God, chose their way instead of God's way, sin entered the human race. From our initial ancestors, Adam and Eve, sin has been a part of the DNA of every human being all the way through every generation right up until our generation and every one of us. And so we are all, the Bible says, sinners. We are sinners by our inherited nature, and you and I are sinners by willful choice. Because every one of us, time and time and time again, have in various instances chosen our way instead of God's way. And the Bible says that's sin. And as always, sin comes with a price. It has consequences. And the first and foremost consequence of sin, follow this now, is that sin separates us from a God who is holy. It alienates us. It estranges us from a God who is holy and righteous. And some secular minds might say, well, I don't like that. I don't think that's how uh, God should be. Well, what we need to understand is we don't get to create God. He created us. And so people who, who formulate their idea of God based on their own ideas, preferences, and opinions are not learning who the true God is. False religions do that. But true religion, truth about God, can only be known from one source, God's divine written revelation to mankind. We call that the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And so when we look into the Bible to discover not who we think God ought to be, but who God really is, here's what we learn. God, first of all, is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. There is no corruption. There is no hint of evil. There is no sin anywhere in God's nature. And because God is so holy, so righteous, so pure, he cannot have union with anything that is corrupted by sin that is unforgiven and has not been cleansed. God cannot be united with that which is sinful. And so anyone who is corrupted by sin, which is all of us, none of us can be united with God as long as our sin has not been cleansed from our soul, has not been atoned for, been paid for, been forgiven and wiped away. And though God is merciful and loves every sinner, God is also just. His nature is just. He cannot, by his very nature, simply overlook or ignore sin and pretend it doesn't exist and become united in relationship with sinful, corrupted human beings for which there has been no penalty paid for their sin. In other words, let me put it this way. God's holy and just nature requires the shedding of innocent blood to atone for the sins of the guilty. His just nature demands it. And so in Old Testament times, when human beings lived under what the Bible calls the Old Covenant, before the time of Christ, 
there was a system of blood sacrifice for the sins of the people in which the the blood of innocent animals were sacrificed at the altar to atone for the sins of the people. We see this in Leviticus, the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Uh, Look with me into the ninth chapter. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. Follow along. We'll provide all the verses. Leviticus 9, beginning with verse 1. After the ordination ceremony, and there it's talking about where the priests were ordained for temple worship. After the ordination ceremony on the eighth day, Moses called together Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defects, and present them to the Lord. Then tell the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering and take a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defects, for a burnt offering. Also take a bull and a ram for a peace offering and flour moistened with olive oil for a grain offering. Present all these offerings to the Lord because the Lord will appear to you today. So the people presented all these things at the entrance of the tabernacle just as Moses had commanded Then the whole community came forward and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering to purify yourself and the people. Then present the offerings of the people to purify them, making them right with the Lord, just as he commanded. So Aaron went to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought him the blood, and he dipped his finger in it and put it on the horns of the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Now, sometimes we might look at this scene and envision it and these innocent animals being sacrificed. And and, and this is difficult for us. It's repulsive to us. And it is supposed to be. It is supposed to help us understand the, the sins, the power of sin to curse. And that it would take the blood of the innocent and whether or not we like it or, or are willing to even believe it, it doesn't change the eternal reality of a just God whose very just nature demands the sacrifice of the innocent for the sins of the guilty. Uh, sometimes you may have noticed the symbol for our judicial system is a scales. Have you seen that? A scales. And it's supposed to represent that the justice system is supposed to balance guilt with punishment. And we all know that our human system doesn't always bring justice. It doesn't always balance. But God's does. God's does. God's just nature demands the balance between atoning blood sacrifice for the guilt of sin. And so under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament era of human history, innocent animals were sacrificed for the guilt of human beings, for their sin. And this was, the Bible says, a temporary system. 
It was just for a period of history until the Heavenly Father's permanent provision for sin would be made. And that provision was not the blood of innocent animals. It was the blood of His innocent Son. You see, on the cross, the innocent Son of God died for guilty sinners. For guilty sinners. We see the actual account from John's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning with verse 16. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. Now go down to verse 28. Look at this, so important. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus, the one the angel called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, who never thought a sinful thought. Jesus, who never said a sinful word. Jesus, who never committed a sinful act, died. Not for his sins, for he had none, but for yours and for mine. Let me ask you something. If God were to ask you to give one of your children to die for the sins of of guilty sinners so that they might not have to endure the just punishment of their sins, would you give your child? Of course not. Of course not. None of us would. And yet our children, though we love them, are not perfect. But God's Son was. And yet He gave Him. He came. And He died. And when He did, Jesus' blood became the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. Oh, the writer of Hebrews says it so well. Follow these verses with me. Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all time, and look, and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. 
Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Under the Old Covenant, Old Testament worshipers would offer animal sacrifices over and over and over again. Why? Because they could never fully and permanently pay for their sins. But when Jesus came, the sinless Son of the Heavenly Father became the Lamb of God, and no more sacrifice need ever be offered. And so to try to add anything to that, say uh, uh, human works or, or religious ritual or morality, to try to add anything to his sacrifice is to say that his sacrifice was insufficient or incomplete. And all those things, morality and works and religious uh, expressions of, of worship, all of those things have a part of our lives, meaningful part, but they are completely insufficient and grossly inadequate to add anything to the all-sufficient sacrifice of the blood of Jesus for our sins. So, does that mean that Jesus' sacrifice, His blood, paid for the sins of everybody, everywhere, no matter who they are, what they've done, what they believe or don't believe? No. No. There's nothing that you can do to earn it, but you must be willing to receive it. To receive it as the free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus. You see... His atonement is applied to our sin when we put our faith in Him as Lord and Savior. What He did for us becomes spiritual and eternity, eternal reality for us when we put our faith in Him. The Apostle Paul said it so well in that wonderful chapter, Romans 3. Follow with me. Romans 3, beginning with verse 21. Paul said, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Look, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God, to the most beautiful words in Scripture, yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking forward, looking ahead, and including them in what he would do in this present time. 
God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You must receive what Jesus did by faith. If you had a terminal illness and without treatment you were going to die from this illness and medical science discovered a cure for your illness and it was a cure that would have no side effects except good ones, and you would be completely and, and permanently cured, you would still have to, to take that treatment. You would have to receive that treatment in order to be saved, in order to be cured of that disease. Well, friends, we have a spiritual disease called sin, and Jesus' sacrifice is the cure. But you must receive his sacrifice. Knowing that Jesus can save you is not the same as being saved. You must receive the gift by faith, by putting your life in his hands, by believing in him, by trusting in him as Lord and Savior and Master. And so I ask you the most important question of this message. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Have you become a born-again Christ follower? That is the most important question you will ever answer in life. And if you're not sure or you know you haven't and you'd like to talk with us, we are always open, whether it's personal conversation, uh, interchange with email, however you would like to dialogue. We're always ready to tell you how you can take that step across the line of faith and have what Jesus did for you credited to your sin that you might be cleansed forever and saved for eternity. Because when you do that, you are transformed from an alienated separated sinner to become by faith a child of God, a son or daughter of the living God, whose perfect heavenly Father loves you with a love that is beyond our ability to comprehend. And once you become a child of God, that union by faith with the Father is an amazing thing. Through the sacrifice of his blood, our faith has given us full access to God. Hmm. One more passage. Back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The writer says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, here, here's what's now available. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, <laughs> let us go right into the presence of God 
with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So what kind of next step do you take with this truth? Let redemption through the blood of Jesus become the theme of your life beginning today. How important was Jesus' blood to our eternal souls? Nothing but the blood of Jesus could purchase our redemption. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged Beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains Lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty since by faith I saw that stream his flowing wounds supply redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Yes, it shall be till I die. It shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and it shall be till I die. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again?
Amen. Stand and sing it, church. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood shed for the guilt of our sins. As Dalton said earlier, all we know to say is thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.